So, good morning and welcome to you all. Denise is back here, right at the front. So, tremendous that you could come in today, Denise. Thank you very much for making that effort. And Becky, is this your first time back in the church since Albies? Uh, I wasn't here last Sunday. Uh, oh, well. Well, well, in that case, okay. <laughs> But anyway, welcome, but also a special welcome to this for this morning to Rachel Watson, who's here for a preach with a view this morning. Now, I uh, don't know, some of you may have actually seen Rachel when she came here for a preach with a peak. These, <laughs> these, these, these wonderful Baptist terms, aren't they? Um, and that, but that was right back on the 19th of November. And uh, so there's been a period of discernment, and, and the Preach for the Peak is very much an informal opportunity for both the, the candidate, but also for the church, just to, you know, to meet in a service. Um, obviously today it does have a slightly more formal function to it. Obviously the Preach for the View in our Baptist uh, churches is very much, you know, we're bringing before you Rachel, who the search team have feel is the right candidate for this church at this time. And... Um, this is now your opportunity as a church to seek God's wisdom and discernment in that path, as you know, Rachel continues to seek that discernment as well. So um, it's an important day, um, but it's obviously a day where we are very much focused on the Lord. We're not, you know, we, okay, if they care, we need to be very careful we don't focus on personalities. You know, the question we're asking ourselves and we're asking of God is, does this seem right? Is this right at this time and in this place? Etc. So um, please keep that before you. So for that purpose, um, after the service this morning, there will be uh, normal refreshments, thanks to Roz and uh, to June, obviously. And then hopefully about midday, we'll be back in here for a question and answer session. And that literally will be an opportunity for any of you to ask questions of Rachel, but also her husband, Paul, who's a gentleman at the back there with a beard. <laughs> Um, I mean, obviously, Rachel is in the limelight, but obviously, Paul is very much part of, of the decision they're making together, I'm sure, as well. Um, so that will go on for about an hour, that question and answer. And hopefully that will provide you as a church with enough to reflect on and to pray about as we look forward then to next Sunday, the 3rd of March, where after the morning service, there will be a church meeting. And uh, at the church meeting, we will have further discussions and we will make a decision about whether to call Rachel to the pastorate of this church. So that's the process, hopefully that's all quite clear for you all. Let me open just with a word of prayer and I'm going to just pass across to, to Rachel. So Father, we thank you we gather here this morning, we gather in the name of Jesus. We come together as your family in this place at this time. And Lord, we do just look to you. We seek for wisdom, for discernment. But Lord, as we worship you today, we might also know you're leading amongst us. Lord, guide us, we pray. Lord, we're all little people with our own little opinions, but we do look to you this morning and pray for that wisdom and that understanding that only you can give. In Jesus' good name. Amen. Thank you. Well, thank you, everybody, and thank you for your wonderful welcome for myself and Paul this morning. It's been lovely, and it's been really nice getting to know some of you over the last few months. It seems to have been going on forever, this process, doesn't it? <laughs> um, but we're sort of coming towards a conclusion, which is exciting, but also quite daunting at the same time. So, um, as Simon said, we're here to meet with God and to worship God. And... Um, I, I love the Psalms, that's something, uh, if, as you get to know me, you know that the Psalms have really got a special place in my heart. I think it's the way God's people have worshipped and spoken to God throughout the centuries. And I'm going to start now just by reading from Psalm, Psalm 37, as we just bring our hearts before God now. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Do not be envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. But trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourselves in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. 
and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Amen. Aren't there some wonderful promises then there for us this morning? So we're now going to spend some time in worship and if you're able to stand and sing with us, we're going to start with the song King of Kings. So let's stand together and sing.
Lord, we lift up your name. We praise you, our three-in-one God, who is with us this morning. Amen. we are so thankful to you. You are a good God who takes care of us and loves us and we bring our praises to you this morning. In Jesus name. Amen. So let's sing now about the goodness of our God.
a seat and I love that song I'll warn you now if you do call me to hear this church then this will be sung quite regularly <laughs> it's it's part of my story how good God has been to me through my life and I'm sure many of you here will also have similar stories so um, this morning I've been given the topic of the sign of Jonah to talk about and it's not something I studied when I did my theology it's not something I'd thought about much uh, even though I've read it many times. So I thought I'd go away and do a little bit of research. And I think the best place to start with the sign of Jonah is the story of Jonah. And um, we probably know it from when we were children, this, this amazing story of a man who got swallowed by a big fish. Um, but I brought you this little fun video uh, which uh, tells the story in song. So I hope you enjoy this. <laughs> Jonah in a nutshell. <laughs> so like you, you might have heard Jonah's story as a child as a warning about disobeying God. 
And Jonah did that with bells on, didn't he? He went in the opposite direction of where God was sending him. But the bit, as I looked through some different videos for this and the children's stories, it's often missed off the very bit at the end, after what happened after he went to Nineveh and told the people God's message. As we know, they repented and God didn't destroy them after all. And we have our happy ending, don't we, at the end? Except Jonah wasn't happy. This is when this subversive little story takes another twist. Jonah had run away, not because he was scared, but because he didn't want the people of Nineveh to be saved. He was a prophet that didn't want his message to be received. He wanted God to destroy them. And when God didn't, he got very angry. He sat down under the hot sun and told God exactly how he felt. I love the honesty of this book. He said, isn't this what I said, Lord, while I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Goodness, he was angry, wasn't he? He would rather die than see his enemies thriving. God simply asked him the question, is it right for you to be angry? But Jonah still wasn't getting it. So God gave him this lovely leafy plant to shade him from the sun. And then he sent a worm to take it away from him again. And you can imagine how Jonah felt then. It made him even madder. And he wanted to die even more than before. And again, God simply asked Jonah the question, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And Jonah, again, very honest, he said, it is, and I'm so angry, I wish I was dead. This was God's man, God's prophet. We often see him as introduced as one of the heroes of, of the Bible. And this isn't the, the um, response that you would expect. But God gently explained to him how much he cares for the people of Nineveh. God's nature is to be compassionate and slow to anger. Jonah is not okay with God loving his enemies. But God's mercy is so much wider than Jonah could have imagined. And this story should cause us to ask ourselves some questions. Are we okay with God loving our enemies? And have we truly grasped the wideness of God's mercy? So hold those thoughts. We'll be coming back to those questions a bit later on. We're now going to sing another song, which is Our God is an Awesome God. So let's stand if you're able, but if you need to sit, that's fine as well. we know that our God is a good God and he is also an awesome God isn't he <laughs> our reading this morning is from Matthew which I understand you've been going through the book of Matthew recently and it's from Matthew 12 38 to 45 then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him teacher we want to see a sign from you he answered a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign 
but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. And this is how it will be with this wicked generation. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words in the Bible, and particularly for these words about Jesus. We pray this morning that you would help us to understand more about him as we, as we study what he meant. In Jesus' name, amen. We go on to the, a couple more. Keep going. Another one? The next one, that's it, lovely. <laughs> so we're going to go on from one fishy story to another. I don't know if anybody remembers these little fortune-telling miracle fish that come in Christmas crackers. Now, you put it on your hand and it will tell your fortune. So I'm just going to have a go now and see what it says this morning. There we go. Now, it's all curled up, so that means... Oh, no, it's still moving. I don't know what that means, actually. <laughs> Yet yeah, it's moving its tail. Indifference. There we go. <laughs> so that was useful, wasn't it? So people quite often like to have their fortunes told, whether by a lady with a crystal ball or reading horoscopes, or by a myriad of self-help gurus on the internet who will offer to help guide you and show you what the universe has in store. And the Christian world isn't immune either, is it? There are pastors who offer all sorts of signs and wonders if you will only make a donation. <laughs> Life is difficult and decisions can be difficult and it's natural to want some sort of a sign to help us know we're on the right track. Um, we've probably felt like that as we've been going through this discernment process. Why doesn't God just put a big sign up somewhere saying what he wants? But, um, so do we, want, do we think the Pharisees are really so wrong to want a sign? After all, God does give signs, doesn't he? Gideon famously asked God for a sign by laying out a fleece. And God graciously gave him the sign that he asked for, several times actually. And we read other examples in the Bible where God gave signs to his people, where they asked him for guidance. So we can't conclude that God is against supernatural signs. But his way is not through little red fish or astrology or anything like that. But I do expect many of us have stories of times when we've asked God for a sign and he's, something has happened. He's confirmed his guidance or given us a new perspective. So that's, that's all good. But I come back to the question, why were the forest Pharisees so wrong to ask for a sign? So to do that, we need to look at the context these verses were written in. In the verses just before these ones, Jesus had indeed been doing miracles. He'd been healing, he'd been casting out demons, and he was getting a lot of attention from the Pharisees. We, we were told that he's already, they were already plotting how to kill him. So in an attempt to discredit him, they accused him of doing these things by the power of Beelzebub. And in response, his words become stronger too, and he calls them a brood of vipers and accuses them of speaking against the Holy Spirit. So we see these exchanges between the religious leaders and Jesus getting more and more heated. The closer he gets to the cross, this spiritual battle is going on. And he's challenging their worldview in which, and the ways in which their authority and leadership is so far from what God intended. 
So when they ask him for a sign, you can be sure they're not really asking for good and honest reasons. Jesus knew all the time they're trying to trap him. They're trying to catch him out. And of course, he's having none of it. Instead, he points them to this story of Jonah, this little story in the Old Testament. Now, at first glance, Jonah and Jesus don't seem to have that much in common, do they? Jonah was a reluctant and, dare I say, quite a grumpy prophet, and he ran away from God. He didn't want the people of Nineveh to repent. But Jesus was the Son of God, who gave up his very life to save his people. But Jesus chose this prophet Jonah for some very important points. First of all, he was pointing forward, and this is probably the most important bit we get from this story, he was pointing forward to his own death and resurrection, the most important sign of all. In Jonah, the story, uh, Jonah's story, there were literal waves and a huge storm that God sent because of Jonah's disobedience. And in the Bible, the sea is often used to represent the forces of chaos and godlessness, the forces of evil that work against God. So when Jesus died on the cross, it seemed that he had succumbed to those chaotic forces. He'd been overcome by evil, and the storms and the chaos had come and taken him. And here there is a parallel with Jonah's story. Jonah being thrown into the stormy sea saved those sailors' lives. And just as Jesus gave up his life to save us. And then, as we know, Jonah was in the fish's belly for three days. And Jesus was in the grave for three days. So we see already lots of parallels between these two stories. And the, the Pharisees would have known this story well. And then, miraculously, God's power returned both to the land of the living, where the good news about God's wide and abundant mercy could be shared far and wide. The resurrection, which is that amazing truth at the centre of our faith, is the only sign that any of us will ever need. It vindicates all of Jesus' life and ministry and is the very basis for our faith. Actually, we know that the Pharisees already had many, many signs and wonders. In fact, they had the very Son of God right there among them. And yet, they were still looking the wrong way. They were looking for their own narrow, unmerciful ways to be validated, rather than seeking a relationship with the God who had made them and truly, unconditionally loved them. And even more, they were trying to block the way for others to come and know that amazing God as well, with all their religious rules and regulations. Like Jonah, they believed that God's mercy was only available to them and those that they approved of. Remember the question we asked ourselves after hearing Jonah's story. Are you okay with God loving your enemies? And like Jonah, they really were not okay with that. As far as they were concerned, the godless and wicked Gentiles deserved everything they got. They, the Pharisees too, had failed to grasp the wideness of God's mercy. They didn't want it for others, but they also didn't recognise their own need for it either. So we come back to Jesus. He'd come to teach them these amazing truths, and this truth that God loves all people and wants them to turn to him and be saved. He told them, and he showed them, that unlike the people of Nineveh, who'd only got one grumpy prophet telling them that they were going to be destroyed, the people of Jesus' time had the Son of God with them, showing them that love. When we go back to Jonah, all he said to the people of Nineveh was one sentence. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. He said nothing about God, nothing about love. There were no signs and wonders and no healings. In fact, in the Hebrew, this sentence contained just five words. Five words, and the whole city repented and sought God. Isn't that amazing? The whole city got it. Whereas the Pharisees had had all of Jesus' teachings multiple healings, deliverance, and even somebody raised from the dead. And still, they didn't get it. 
No wonder Jesus was angry with them. They still did not repent. And Jesus told them that the people of Nineveh will condemn them on that day of judgment. Even the Queen of Sheba will condemn them because she travelled from the very ends of the earth to hear Solomon's wisdom. And they had Jesus right there among them and they still refused to hear. That wide and wonderful mercy of God was being offered to them. But still, they looked the other way. What a tragedy. What they still didn't understand was that God's kingdom was never intended just for them. They made and they kept all their rules to keep the forces of chaos at bay. But this would never work because God's plan all along was not to create a container to keep God's people safe from the waters of chaos. We can go back to the story of Noah to see that that was only ever a temporary fix. God's plan was to send Jesus right down into the depths of the waters in order to emerge after three days victorious over all the forces of chaos. That is an amazing story, isn't it? Back in chapter 8 of Matthew, there's another little story about a storm when he's out in a boat with his disciples and, like Jonah, he was fast asleep. And they woke him up and he spoke and he didn't need throwing in the water. He actually just said a few words and it calmed the storm and it calmed the winds and the waves. This was another sign. Only God can command the sea. And Jesus demonstrated his divine nature by doing just that. The Pharisees had their actual God walking among them, and they'd missed it. But the people that got it were the unexpected ones, uneducated fishermen, tax collectors, women and children, Samaritans. In fact, all the people the Pharisees looked down on and tried to exclude. And that's the amazing thing about our God. His mercy is wide, it's bountiful, and it includes the least and the lost. Our children, at the moment, it's one of their favourite phrases, I think, when they see something surprising, they often say, that's wild. I don't know if you've heard people say that, but I quite like that as a description of God. He's not tame or safe or controllable, and he will often surprise us. He's wild, but not in a bad way because he is God. He's so much bigger and more than we could possibly imagine. I love these words from C.S. Lewis from The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Does everybody know the book, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe? I definitely recommend it if you haven't read it. One of the characters, Susan, asks if Aslan is safe. And if you've not read the books, Aslan is the great lion that C.S. Lewis uses in these stories to represent God. The reply from Mr. Beaver is this. Safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he is good. He's the king, I tell you. And that is our God, isn't it? He's our king. He's good, but he's not safe. If we follow him, we don't know what adventures we're in for, what storms we will have to travel through. But he's the one with the power to still any storm. He's the one who conquered death and who by the cross achieved victory over all the forces of chaos. And he's given us this wild and wonderful story to tell of a God who loves us so much that he's willing to become human and die for us. A God whose mercy is so wide, he wants to save even the worst and the most difficult of people. No one is exempt from his love. Even the ones that we would rather he just burn up and destroy. This is the good news that's ours to share. For anyone who feels lost or alone or without hope, God's mercy is as wide as the ocean. And for those who feel superior, like they've got it all sorted and look down on people that are not like them, Jesus says, turn around, which is what repent means. He says, turn around and look at me. Learn a better way. 
the wild, not safe, but so very wonderful and fulfilling way of abundant life. He calls all of us to turn from our own way and to follow him. So let's not miss that call into relationship with the God who walks among us, who calms the storm, whose mercy is wide enough and wild enough to welcome us, even us, into his kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are this amazing God who loves us beyond measure. Lord, we thank you for this story that you've given us to tell. And we pray that you would equip us and show us how to tell that to the world who needs it so much. In Jesus' name. Amen. I believe Carol is going to come and lead our intercessions for us. Good morning, everyone. As Brian Pollard sent out the church newsletter yesterday, we already know some of the needs of our family at NBC. And I trust that we'll do our very best to pray for everyone as detailed in the, list, in the list during our prayer times in the week. So I will commit to us praying for the wider needs of the country and our world. To be honest, I'm not entirely sure where to start. To me, there appears to be some sort of a fog of permacrisis hanging over us all at present. It may seem trivial, but rather the rather bleak weather that we're experiencing here in the UK at present doesn't exactly help Permanently grey and cloudy skies, constant drizzle if not rain, and at times feeling cold to our very bones. It doesn't exactly make one feel positive, does it? Roll on spring is what I say. Thank goodness for the snowdrops over the last few weeks. And God bless the daffodils and the bluebells, which are or will be appearing soon. Let us look around us at nature and really take heart from the fact that the sap in the trees is rising and that green buds are appearing on trees and bushes. Thank you for the promise of a new season, Lord Jesus. And when it comes to the world, once again, it seems that all God's creatures are at war. It must be so depressing for you, Lord, to see us fighting over territory, over commodities, over possessions, and in order to perhaps acquire more people to use as cannon fodder in our continuous wars. It's depressing for us, Lord, let alone for you, to see us destroying, maiming, annihilating, killing your children, whom you love so very dearly. The present crisis in the Middle East is exactly that, a crisis of biblical proportions. Virtual genocide, the Arabs against the Jews. Goodness me, we hope that might be all over by now. However, it appears not. And then there is Russia advancing its relentless tentacles slowly but surely, with Putin seeming to model himself on being a second reincarnation of Peter the Great, his hero. And then there is China, with its ever-growing population which needs feeding, its country in recession, and its xenophobia where the West is concerned. It is said that it has been biding its time for centuries, and it now appears that maybe the wait is over. History seems to be repeating itself, do we ever learn, Lord? And when we look at our country, we see different sectors and demographics of our population also at war with each other, as I keep saying, using our keyboards or if not physical rage against one another, different races in deadlock and hatred, different religions, different classes, not to mention those with different political leanings, and now bitter wars between the two main genders plus the apparently 72 genders listed on the internet. Is there anything that we can agree on at present, Lord? It often appears not. But the one thing that we as Christians can all unanimously agree on is that it's you in charge and not us. Thank goodness. No matter how fearful and burdened we may feel, we know that you are our Heavenly Father and that you love us all unconditionally. After all, you sent your own son to die for us which we definitely didn't deserve, by the way. And that is, without question, the ultimate sacrifice and sign of love ever shown throughout history. Although we may not feel in control, we thank you that you have a plan 
and that we can ask you to help us in our unbelief, to give us faith. We know that we can trust you to do what is best for all of us. It is so hard for us to trust you in this, Lord, but we know that in you and because of the precious blood of your Son shed for us, we can ask for anything in Jesus' name and that you will listen and act when we act as intercessors. We have no other hope but you, Lord, literally. Let us remember that, please, and to now ask you to bring an end to this madness. Please, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're now coming to a time of communion together and um, I'm just going to play a little song for us to, to listen to. So just stay in your seats and listen. It's a communion song which I've discovered recently. I don't think it's a new song. You may, may even know it. Um, but it's a really good way to get our hearts prepared as we come to this time of sharing um, the bread and the wine together. So just um, sit and enjoy the song.
invited to the table. Come to this table not because you must, but because you may. Not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Come not because any goodness of your own gives you a right to come, but because you need mercy and help. Come because you love the Lord a little and would like to love him more. Come because he loved you and gave himself for you. Come and meet the risen Christ, for we are his body. Lord, pour upon the poverty of our love and the weakness of our praise the transforming love of your presence. We praise and bless you, loving Father, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And as we obey his command, send your Holy Spirit, that broken bread and wine outpoured may be for us the presence of your dear Son. Amen. The Apostle Paul tells us of the institution of the Lord's Supper. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we now come to share the bread and wine. We will now share the cup together. And if you could hold on to your cup and we'll all drink together um, at the end.
In a world where so many often drink to forget, we come together to drink to remember our wonderful Saviour. Amen. Loving God, we thank you that you have nourished us at this table. We pray for all those who hunger and thirst that they may be filled. And may we with them feast at the table of your eternal kingdom. This we ask through Jesus Christ, who was, who is, and who is to come, and who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're going to finish our service with one final song, which um, I hadn't sung for a long time and I rediscovered recently, and the words are lovely. It's, I will sing the wondrous story. So again, if you're able to stand, let's stand and sing our final song together. Father, we thank you for feeding us today and being among us. We pray as we go out, we will continue to tell through our lives, through our words, through our deeds, that wondrous story of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. So may the Lord bless you and guard you, fill you and enfold you, guide you and sustain you now and always. Amen.
you very much, Rachel. Thank you both for leading us in worship and obviously opening God's word to us. Thank you very much indeed. And doing it in such a timely manner as well, which always gets me, you know, like that. So we're having a break now. Uh, we're going to hopefully reconvene at midday. Uh, whether you're a member of this church or not, you're very welcome to come and join in with that question and answer, you know, to quiz, you know. So don't feel this is a members only thing. It's not. I'm, I'm lovely to see many members here, by the way. But it's, you're all welcome. So do stay for tea and coffee and rejoin at 12. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs>